Peace to you. Welcome back to The Naked Truth, and thank you for joining me for this fine Friday the 13th episode. We're going to pick up where we left off in the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 28. If you want to read along with me, let's begin with verse 1. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. He did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord, as his father David had done. So the narrator here, unnamed, unnamed, and as far as I know, unknown of the book of Second Chronicles, is letting us know in their opinion, Ahaz as a king was not so good. They're saying they he was didn't do the good and righteous thing in the eyes of the Lord, who is in this case being identified. Lord is English, not all caps, but. Um, in Hebrew, it's Jehovah, or however that's actually pronounced. Verse 2. For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and made molded images for the Baals. So the narrator here is letting us know the way that he failed the Lord is by um, worshipping other entities, other idols, as they're called, including the Baals. Um uh, more commonly thought of as I think of as demons. Verse 3. He burned incense in the valley of the son of Hanam and burned the children and burned his children in the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. So among the other things that he did that were considered unfaithful and wicked King, that is, were that he also barbecued his children, that he offered his own children up as burnt sacrifices to God, um, who he thought of as God, whether it was God Almighty or not, um, that's who he did it to, and that was considered an offense um, according to the narrator. Um, Saying and also that doing that that sort of thing was even worse than what the people who were living there before they his people got there and colonized it um, even to this day. Verse four, and he sacrificed and burned incense on high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. So he also worshipped many other entities, deities, lots of other gods, plenty of other religion. He wasn't faithful in that sense. Verse 5, therefore, the Lord his God delivered him into the hand of the king of Syria. They defeated him and carried him and carried away a great multitude of them as captives and brought them to Damascus. Then he was also delivered into the hand of the king of Israel, who defeated him with a great slaughter. So um, king's having a hard time. King of Judah, that is. There's still two separate kingdoms at this point. The kingdom of Judah, um, and then also separately the kingdom of Israel. The kingdom of Israel apparently is still doing okay. The kingdom of Judah is having issues, including with the country of Syria, same Syria that exists in modern times, so a very, very old country compared to uh, the age of things like America. Uh, in comparison, Syria is like 10 times as old, maybe more. Um, than America is, um, and yet they don't, when you think of them, at least me, you don't think of them as even being as modern as America, even though they're much more ancient. 
Um, but that's just what I think of. That doesn't mean that it's actually the case. Um, uh, so anyways, um, he, the character, according to the narrator, the hard times he's having are the re are basically a result of the um, uh, unfaithfulness, the religious unfaithfulness, unfaithfulness he's guilty of. Um, and I wonder about that because I was having a discussion with a family member of mine, close family member, maybe one of the closest living family members for sure of mine. And she was, um, we were talking about um, some of my uncles and aunts and uh, my father recently visited daddy I should say excuse me daddy recently visited them in Georgia and um while he was there they're in their 70s um most all of them are in their 70s and they were talking about how the men now were so faithful and to their wives as they weren't they weren't always that like that they kind of kind of scoundrel dogs some of them to their wives but two of them in particular who we were talking about but they were talking about how they're um, on the straight and narrow now and they're not carrying on that same way anywhere, anymore and then the aunts one of them chimed in that you can't carry on that way anymore because two of them are in diapers now and it just seemed so uh, cold that she would put that kind of truth right there on them like that um, but I guess sometimes the truth hurts. Um, but it seems there, and what makes me think of that is that people think um, that you, people get sick like that because of the things they've done. Um, and so that's what um, they believe. Um, and that's what my daddy was saying that he believed my sister. She was saying that she doesn't believe that, that God puts those um, sickness on anybody. Um, and she considers herself Christian, um, but um, one of them, I don't know what the others do, but that one at least does, and she said that um, that she doesn't believe that. So then, um, and she has a degree, doctorate in theology, um, so it's not for me to argue with her, but I did mention, because we've talked about things biblically related before, and um, she... I'm paraphrasing, basically said that there's nothing that I'll say that will change her mind. and There's nothing she'll say that would change my mind. So we both just basically agreed to disagree. And I did agree to disagree, but not completely because um, I may not be able to say anything to change her mind or yours or anyone else's. But I'm open to um, new information and understanding and new events and things. So there are things that people can say to me that could change my mind. That was my basically signal that me know that she didn't want to discuss it any further. But the, in the same way, you see here, according to what we're reading here, and the biblical proof of that is that I think, and I'm paraphrasing it, it, it literally says that the people, and I told her this, that it says it in the Bible, that the people were warned that if they're faithful, um, they would receive blessings and if they weren't they received cursings and that's literally i think what the title is in these new king james versions if you do a search blessings and cursings it'll probably even pop up and it'll show that those same same events that you see happening in the world in modern times 
um, especially recently, unfortunately, can sort of be linked back to those same prophecies that if the people weren't faithful, which they weren't back then, it's not for me to judge if they are now or not. I don't know if people are still uh, faithful to their covenant or not, that if that would make it true enough or not, or if the history even matters to the people in whose hands the area and land were in originally or not, I don't know. So, um, but if you're going to use the Bible as your defense for different actions, then you have to also include the parts of the Bible that say that um, those promises for that promised land were lost because of the unfaithfulness, because of the idolatry. Um, but anyway, verse 6, for Pethah, the son of Amalia, killed 120,000 in Judah in one day all valiant men because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. Oh, there it is right there. Again, mentioning the fact that um, the people weren't being faithful. And it seems like, did we skip one? Verse five, therefore the Lord his God delivered him into the hand of the king of Syria. They defeated him and carried away a great multitude of them as captives and brought them to Damascus. Then he was also de delivered into the hand the king of Israel who defeated him with a great slaughter. So now reading that part about the king of Israel defeating him reminds me we did read that because that they were still separated. So even his brother, in a sense, was at war with him and defeated him. And we just read the same. So, but again, verse six, for Pethah, the son of Amalia, killed 120,000 in Judah in one day, all valiant men, because they forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. So um, another battle that didn't end so well for him is being brought up again here by the narrator. Again, because of um, idolatry, unfaithfulness to a certain particular specific entity as his God. Verse 7, Zikri, a mighty man of Ephraim, killed, man, uh, killed Masia, the king's son, Azrakam, the officer over the house, and Elkanah, who was second to the king. So uh, it looks like there's a madman, a nut, a serial killer, someone uh, on the loose who killed at least three different uh, high-ranking soldiers in the king's army or um, administration. Verse 8, And the children of Israel carried away captive of their brethren 200,000 women, sons, and daughters. And they took also, and they also took much spoil from them and brought the spoil to Samaria. So it mentions there that they're, they're their brothers that are looting because they're all 12 tribes together, but they're not united. Um, um, but they're, and they're close enough that they can be exploited, um, fought in wars, and then looted. Verse 9, But a prophet of the Lord was there whose name was Obed, and he went out before the army that came to Samaria and said to them, Look, because the Lord God of your fathers was angry with Judah, he has delivered them into your hand. But you killed them in a rage that reaches up to heaven. So um, the slaughters are uh, not sitting well with the holy man, the preacher Obed, with the one who's considered to be in touch with God, the prophet. He's letting them know that they're being wicked in their bloodshed and slaughter in their avenging the attack that they already experienced. Sort of like what's happening in modern times. 
in many places around the world. Um, just continual wars, year after year, decade after decade, craziness. Verse 10, and now you propose to force the children of Judah and Jerusalem to be your male and female slaves. But are you not also guilty before the Lord your God? So um, the issue of slavery is being brought up here. Um, the fact that um, they were fighting and going to war is not bad enough. But the fact that they clearly slaughtered the men, the men of their own brethren, their um, other tribes uh, that they were at war against, but taken hostage as loot, booty, the women and children um, of their own not-so-distant relatives and making them their own slaves now. So in this instance of slavery, it has nothing to do so much with color. It has to do with exploitation of the free labor in the same sense. It had to do with expo exploitation of American slavery, but it also the hatred was based on color also as an added layer. Verse 11, now hear me, therefore, and return the captives whom you've taken captive from your brethren from the fierce wrath, for the fierce wrath of the Lord is upon you. So uh, Obed is warning them, the prophet is warning them that what they're doing is wickedness and that if they don't change their ways like right now, God is ready to lash out at them for what they've done in enslaving other people. But in this case, it matters that the other people are their brethren. Uh, remember we read earlier, you can't, you can't enslave um you can enslave strangers, foreigners, but you can't enslave your own people. And people believe that that's God who says that. that. But to believe that would mean that God is a respecter of person, that persons, that God does honor and respect one person more than another if you really believe that's God and not actually just religion that made out something like that. But that's just my opinion, just reading it. Verse 12, excuse me. Then some of the heads of the children of Ephraim, Azariah, the son of Joanan, Bechariah, the son of Meshulamath, Jehezekiah, the son of Shalom, and Amasa, the son of Hadley, stood up against those who came from the war. So it looks like there's a council of people who joined together to speak out against their anti-war protesters. Verse 12. Uh, verse 13, and said to them, you shall not bring the captives, captives here. We already have offended the Lord. You intend to add to our sins and our guilt, to, for our guilt is great, and there is fierce wrath against Israel. So some of the people are recognizing that what they're doing is wrong, and it's wickedness, and it's evil, and that to do any more would add to their guilt, to their blood guilt in God's eyes. And so they're admonishing them to change their ways like yesterday. Verse 14. So the armed men left the captives and the spoil before the leaders and all the assembly. So the thugs who took their um, other people captives, the women and children captives of their uh, other tribes, um, gave up just like that when they were called out, like bullies do many times and just left they left the women the children and the booty the money uh, verse 15 then the men who designated 
Then the men who were designated by name rose up and took the captives, and from the spoil they clothed all who were naked among them, dressed them, and gave them sandals, gave them food and drink, and anointed them. And they let all the feeble ones ride on donkeys. So they brought them to their brethren at Jericho, the city of palm trees. Then they returned to Samaria. So look at how terrible people are, um, even among their own people. Because remember, there are tribes and they share common lineage, just like in modern times. Um, they're just as brutal to them as they are to strangers, even or foreigners, even as they would be to the point of enslaving people. I'm just curious what the word people actually means. It looks like it's an adjective. It means lacking physical, physical strength, especially as a result of age or illness. Okay, so it has nothing to do with intelligence. It just um, has to do with um, the elderly, basically. People who lack the physical strength to really move around vigorously. If that makes sense. Okay, so how's he going to deal with everything? What's um, he going to do now? They basically had a change of heart in that moment, which is good. Um, where is that? Um, I thought it was verse 11, wasn't it? Let's see. No, I read 12 also. Oh, okay, verse 15, it has people in it. Okay, so cool. So, um, verse 16. Um, at the same time, King Ahaz sent to the kings of Assyria to help him. So, um, while these things are going on one in one kingdom, the other kingdom, remember Israel and Judah, two separate kingdoms, is looking for help in an alliance with the whole other kingdom, foreigners, another country, um, the Assyrians, a very uh, powerful, historically powerful conquering uh, force, like the Roman um, force, uh, the Assyrians were before them, like the Babylonians, like the Kush Empire, like different empires throughout history, the Byzantine, the um, Egyptian, lots of different empires in history, um, the Assyrians are one of them. Verse 17, for again, the Edomites had come, attacked Judah, and carried away captives. So um, the Edomites are also sort of distant relatives of both Israel and Judah. They're sort of cousins if you if they look to their history, and yet they're also attacking and exploiting them. Um, and their weaknesses when they can through war. Verse 17, for again, the Edomites had come. I'm sorry, I read that one. Verse 18, the Philistines also had invaded the cities of the lowland and of the south of Judah and had taken Beth Shemesh, Ijalon, Gedaroth, Soko with its villages, Timna with its villages, and Gizmo, Gizmo with its villages, and they dwelt there. So um, lots of different enemies there are rising up around them. Um, historical the enemy um, people that existed even outside of the Bible. 
And I'm guessing they're going to attribute all of those problems to idolatry. I will keep reading. Verse 19. For the Lord brought Judah low. Let's start that again. Verse 19. For the Lord Judah low because of Ahaz king Israel. For he had encouraged moral decline in Judah. And had been continually unfaithful to the Lord. So the narrator here is letting us know. They're attributing the fall of his empire, his reign, to idolatry. Verse 20. Also, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came to him and distressed him and did not assist him. So as always, please forgive me if I mispronounce any of these names. Um, it's talking about here another empire that was able to prevail upon him. Uh, during his uh, administration, also probably because being attributed to idolatry. Verse 21, for he has took part of the treasuries from the house of the Lord, from the house of the king, and from the leaders, and he gave it to the king of Assyria, but he did not help him. So even though Ahaz was desperate for help, desperate enough to liquidate what he could, among his own treasures um, and give them to another force to help him. The Assyrians, um, during his struggles, they took the money, but still didn't even help him. It's really shady. It's a shady alliance. Verse um, 22. Now, in the time of his distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. This is that King Ahaz. So um, the narrator is, is letting us, he's is saying that King Ahaz is sort of a notorious King Ahaz. And um, I'm guessing more things about him uh, exist um, beyond just these latest incidents. Let's keep reading. Um, verse 23, 4. He sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, saying, because the gods of the kings of Assyria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. For they were a ruin of them and of all Israel. So, I mean, can you blame him? It's like desperate times, desperate measures. He figures he had power in his own mind and, you know, surrounded by his kingdom. And yet other kingdom, another kingdom was able, able to, to defeat him. On the um, with the understanding of belief that their God, their entity, gave them that victory. So he figures, well, why not worship their God? And maybe through them, he can also re, uh, you know, gain victory. Um, but the narrator is saying that was the ruin of him because it's basically more unfaithfulness. Verse 24, so Ahaz gathered the articles of the house of God, cut in pieces the articles of the house of God, shut up the doors of the house of the Lord and made for himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. So he's thinking, well, since it sounds like he's thinking, since that entity, the Lord, in all caps, Jehovah, Jehovah, however it's properly pronounced, is angry with him, he'll just go ahead and shut up the temple of that entity and instead make other places of worship for these other entities that he's going to worship and sacrifice and try to be loyal to and faithful to 
and hope that he can get help there. I mean, I guess he's trying to get help however he can get it. Um, and even setting up altars on every corner in Jerusalem. Verse 35. And in every single city of Judah, he made high places uh, to burn incense to other gods and provoked anger at the Lord God of his fathers. So he made high places, grand structures of worship for in these different sites um, to worship God as he knew it, um, but not uh, faithful to the one entity that the people, the narrator here at least, clearly believes he should be faithful to identifying as the actual Lord God. It's considered unfaithfulness and idolatry. Excuse me. Verse 26. And remember also before we move on that burning incense to those other gods, that was um, the offense that cost one person leprosy. Yeah, and yeah, cost his, him his kingdom. So it was considered like instant karma for doing that when he did that. So um, it's a very high offense that seems to uh, provoke a supernatural response when the right person, or I should say wrong person, does it. More so than many other atrocities people do, like we've talked about. Verse 26. Now the rest of the of his acts and all his ways, from first to last, and he they're written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. So the narrator here is letting us know if you want to read more about this king and his reign, you can find more about him in the book of the king, the books of the kings, which we've already read. Verse twenty seven. So he has rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of in Jerusalem. But they did not bring him into the tombs of the kings of Israel. Then Ezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. So he got buried in the holy city, Jerusalem, same one as in modern times. But he didn't get buried in the specific tombs of the kings as uh, some of his forefathers did. And in this passage, it didn't make it clear why he didn't. But I'm guessing it's because of his idolatry. That seems to be the reoccurring theme. Um, but that was the last verse. That's where we'll end this reading. As always, I thank you for joining me for the Naked Truth. Hope it's a blessing for you and that you join me again. I love you and I appreciate you and hope to see you next time. Peace be with you.